0: portion of God's Word that we'll focus our attention on this morning is a a long portion of God's Word, as you can see. I don't think it will lose your attention. A reading from John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming And has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. O Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Amen. Samaritans. Some of us have been reviewing this lately. We've been talking about this in our Bible study on the book of Micah, and I think it came up in a sermon not too long ago. But for those of you who haven't reviewed Samaritans lately, let's take a minute to do that. 722 B.C., over 700 years before this event takes place in the Gospel of John, a king from a very powerful nation called Assyria came down to what was known as the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Assyrians were very clever in how they conquered nations. They had figured out that if you leave a people in their homeland, they're more likely to rise up. Maybe not right away, but give it a generation. And they will. They'll go to their secret hiding places And they will gather together and they will rise up against you. But remove them from their homeland. Move them to a place they've never seen and settle them there. It will take generations for them to even consider rising up. And so that's what they did. They came into the northern kingdom of Israel and they marched every single man, woman, and child away from their home. And left the land vacant. But then, of course, they did that same thing somewhere else. And they just were moving pieces around, right? So they brought a foreign group of people from who knows where to live in this land that once belonged to Jacob and his son Joseph. And then you fast forward 700 years. And you have people who are not Jewish living in Jewish lands. And this is a really interesting account because not only are they Samaritans living in Samaria this lady is drawing water from a 2,000-year-old well that Jacob dug. And you remember what Jacob's name was changed to, right? Israel. These were as Israelite as Israelite lands could get. And there's foreigners living there. And the Jews in Jesus' day did not like that. They did not associate with Samaritans. And they did not travel through Samaria, which is why it's interesting that we're told Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I wanted to take just a minute to to have you think that through for a minute because it's not like you want to go to East Green Bay and 43 is closed and 41's got a large traffic delay back up for miles and you say, well, I'll just cut through the city. I had to go through Green Bay. Sorry I'm a little late. That's not what this is. There was a western route and there was an eastern route and Jesus very well could have traveled those routes. The reason he had to go through Samaria had to do with people. And of course, we meet one of them, but it's not just her. This account was long. I know, it's 26 verses long, right? It's longer than that. We we didn't print it all in here. After this account, the woman goes into the town of Saqqar and she tells everyone what happened, what Jesus said to her. She asks, could this guy be the Christ? And they all come out. And the whole town listens to him. They listen to Jesus teach. And at the end of the account, all the people say this to the woman We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. How interesting is that! This foreign woman who's living in Jewish lands, she makes it very clear that she knows of the Jewish God and she knows of the Jewish Messiah. In fact, she had even begun to worship this God, so she thought. And she has all sorts of questions about worship, but let's leave that aside for the moment. She's looking for the Christ, she's looking for the Messiah, and these people, these foreigners, they know that the Messiah is going to be from the Jewish line, a Jewish Savior but they know that he's not just a savior of Jews, but a savior of the whole world. And they listen to Jesus speak and they say, we believe he's the savior of the whole world, which means we believe he's our savior. Now do you see why Jesus had to go through Samaria? There were people there. It didn't matter where they were from. It didn't matter what their heritage was. There were people who were looking for him And he wanted to go tell them that he was there. And so through Samaria he goes. And he gets to this town called Sikar, and he's tired, as anyone would be, traveling a long distance on foot. And he sits down by this well with a really long history. And he waits. And out comes the woman. And he does the unthinkable, he he converses with her. He asks her for water and what follows is this fascinating dialogue about living water. And if you've heard this passage before, you probably already know Jesus is talking about a spiritual thing. He's not talking about a physical type of water. But this woman doesn't know that yet. And she hears Jesus talking about living water and all she can think about is an easier solution to her life because, I know this is hard for you people, she goes out to get water every day, and it's hard work. And here we sit, some two thousand years later, and we have water anywhere we could possibly need it. Right? You ever think about how plumbing works in your home? Well, it comes to your to your kitchen, and some people with with uh, who are really thinking ahead, they even put the faucet by the stove. Now I've been seeing. So you could just fill your pot of water up right in the stove. You don't even have to carry it, right? You just put it right there, fill it up with water, and then you heat it up and you cook your food. You go to your bathroom, and you have how many water sources? Well, of course, the sink. And then if you have a shower and a tub, that's got one. The toilet, the toilet's got its own water source, just so you don't have to fill it up over and over again. Three sources of water in one room. And then you got your laundry room. And then how many do you have outside? two, three, four maybe sources where you could get water if you needed it when you're outside the house. Water is living for us in the sense that it comes right to us whenever we need it. And of course, that's a relatively new thing. It wasn't until the 1930s that it became common even in rural areas to have running water. When this lady thinks of living water, she's not thinking 2,000 years into the future of modern plumbing, but she is thinking of water that comes a little closer to her than this well. What could that have been? Well, natural springs do what? They, they, they bubble up to the surface, right? It's a constant source of fresh, clean, cool water. That would have been viewed as living water, a, a moving source of water that was constantly replenishing itself. You didn't have to climb down into a pit to to drag out old stagnant water. You didn't have to lower a bucket deep down a well and then haul it up. She's instantly thinking of an easier solution to getting water. And Jesus says, "That's, that's not what I'm talking about. If you drink the water that I give you, you will never again thirst. And again, she's thinking, all right, I don't understand exactly what he's talking about, but give me this water because if I'm not thirsty anymore, I don't have to keep coming back to this well. So either way, problem solved. And that's when Jesus has this beautiful line. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It will happen. It's a guarantee, right? But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. This woman is looking for satisfaction. She hears Jesus speak and she's kind of on the right track because Jesus is talking about satisfaction too, but he's talking about a different kind of satisfaction. He's not talking about water that quenches physical thirst. He's talking about something completely different, and that is why he brings up her husband. That's why he asks her, go get your husband. And, and she says, well, I, I don't have one. And then he goes on to tell her how she's had five husbands, and the one she's got now is not her husband. This woman was seeking satisfaction. She was looking and looking and looking and we don't need to know the details about her relationships. It doesn't matter. Jesus makes it very clear by bringing it up that man number one did not heal that gaping hole in her heart. Man number two didn't, three, four, five. Now she's trying six. Jesus is saying it won't work. You're not going to find satisfaction in him or any of them. Not the kind of satisfaction you're looking for. This was not just a Samaritan problem. This was not just a problem with this woman. This was a problem that all humans struggle with. And if you go back to the time of the Assyrians, a little bit after that, there was a prophet named Jeremiah. And he came to God's people to show them that they had this very same problem. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God says these words, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me the the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Have any of you ever lived somewhere where you had a cistern? I, I come from out west. It's been a while now, right? Almost been here two years already. But cisterns were common. In Wyoming, all over the place. You'd see these trucks and these trailers with these huge water basins on the back. They'd pull under the dispenser a a big pipe hanging down and they'd pull the lever and the city would bill them for water just like they bill you for having water come into your house. And they would take it out and dump it in their cistern. And then it would get pumped into their house and they could have running water just like you and me. Well, the cistern was kind of important for them. If that cistern was cracked, they could make trip after trip after trip into town and haul those thousands of pounds of water back out to their house and dump it in the cistern. What's going to happen? Just going to run into the ground. The Lord says, you guys have me, the eternal source of living water. And you fools have turned your back on me and you dug a hole in the ground and you started filling it with all this stuff that you think is going to bring you satisfaction, and it's just running into the ground. You are as foolish as foolish can be. And so if Jesus came to you, what question would he ask you? Maybe you haven't had five husbands or five wives. Maybe for you the the problem is not that you're seeking to to fill that gaping hole in your heart with a spouse. Maybe for you it's something totally different. So where are you turning? Where have you been turning to try to fill that gaping hole in your heart? I could do that, that pastor thing where I run through a list of possibilities for you. I think you could probably do this one on your own. Can you think of something in your life, something in this earth that you go to over and over again? It's like you're, you keep dumping it into the cistern hoping that maybe this time it'll stay in there and it'll, it'll satisfy you. We do this all the time. We have this gaping hole in our heart that's seeking to be filled, that that wants to be satisfied, this internal thirst. And we try and we try and we try with all these things in this life, things we do, people we know, places we like to go, and we keep coming back empty. This is what makes our God so awesome. He shows us the problem, and then he points us back to himself And he says, I'm still here, this eternal source of satisfaction. Listen to what he says through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Jesus says to the woman, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How is it that Jesus can say that? How is it that Jesus can claim to offer that kind of satisfaction? It's because of who he is. This woman seems so confused. And at the end, she says this line that's kind of cool, but shows how confused she is. She's basically saying, I don't get it, but when Messiah comes, he'll explain. And Jesus looks at her, I imagine, with a, Big old grin on his face, and he says, "I, the one speaking to you, I am He. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one who can satisfy that huge hole in your heart. I'm the one who has come to to obey the Father on your behalf." I'm the one who's come to suffer the hell that you deserve for all your sins, for turning away and forsaking the Lord, for digging cisterns and for filling it up with all sorts of useless things. I'm the one who has come to free you from the thing that you fear the most. I'm the one who's come to free you from your fear of death. I'm gonna defeat death because I'm not going to stay dead, but I'm going to rise. I'm the one who can ease that nagging, longing feeling in the pit of your stomach. I'm the one who can get you to God, and I'm the reason that you'll be satisfied forever. I'm the one you're looking for. And here we sit, bodies that are failing, bodies that are dying day after day, struggling against our old sinful flesh. We know in our heads that Jesus is the one who satisfies. And yet day after day after day, we struggle with what the people In Jeremiah's day, struggled with forsaking the living source of water, going after things that don't satisfy. And so what are we to do? How can we get from the point where we are struggling day after day to a point that just trusts and knows and is satisfied? Maybe we could try the prayer that Moses prayed. I didn't make it up. At the beginning of our sermon this morning. Psalm 90:14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Maybe we could try praying that prayer when we wake up day after day. Ask the Lord help you, just like I need the help. Lord, be my satisfaction today. Let your unfailing love be the one thing that satisfies me. Remind me, as I go through this day, not to seek satisfaction in all the places that spoil and fade and, and, and disappear like the mist, like my breath on a cold day. Let your unfailing love and your unfailing love alone be the thing that satisfies me so that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. You know, if I've ever left you with the impression that heaven is the thing and the reason you should get through life is because you could just keep looking to heaven. I'm stopping too far short. There's more than that. Moses keys in on it. God is here to satisfy you now every day the rest of your life and yes forever in heaven and that's going to be awesome and you're going to love it but you can be satisfied right now you can sing for joy right now you can have joy in your heart and be glad every single day for the rest of your life because you have Jesus you have the Christ the savior of the world and so, and so what Moses prayed, not only for himself, but for everyone around him, I pray for you. And I encourage you to pray for those around you. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Amen.